Friends, welcome back to our series called Mixtape. We are finishing, and this is our finale, our series on the Psalms. And we are going to read today from a favorite, the classic Psalm, Psalm number 23. So I invite you to open your Bible and to have it open in front of you. If you don't have your Bible, maybe take the one out of the pew rack in front of you and open it up. Usually you go to the middle and maybe just a little to the left. There are the Psalms. And we're going to read the 23rd Psalm. Now I'm going to read to you from the King James Version. Now, we usually don't read or preach the King James Version because it's somewhat archaic, and we don't really talk like that anymore. Um, and I will tell you that I think there are more accurate translations. The New International Version, the New Revised Standard Version, the NASB, some of those are my favorites. Uh, the best, I think, is probably to have several versions of the Scripture open when you really want to do uh, deep Bible study to see the fullness of what God is saying to us through the Scripture. Uh, but I just cannot give up the beauty of the language of the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version. So listen now for the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I hope that in our six weeks together, you have grown in your understanding and appreciation of the Psalms as a prayer book, as a song book, not only for Israel, but also for us, uh, the church, the people of God. If you missed any of the sermons, you can go back and listen to them on the website at TimberlakeUMC.org, or you can download uh, our Timberlake sermons on the podcast app on your smartphone. On my smartphone, the podcast app is purple with those little white circles on it. And if you go there and search Timberlake UMC, you can download those sermons. And so when you go on vacation later this summer, you're on a road trip, you can listen to Pastor Matt or Pastor Brad. And uh, your, your road trip will be enhanced because you'll hear the word of God preached. All right, I know, shameless self-promotion. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it. So today we're digging into the 23rd Psalm, uh, such a favorite, such a classic. You know, it's, it's simple enough that even children can memorize it, and yet it's deep enough that it challenges even those of us who've been studying the scriptures our whole lives. Uh, it is a, a favorite of ours, and I find people come back to it again and again. Uh, the story is that Abraham Lincoln would read the 23rd Psalm when he was in his periods of depression. Some of you are old enough to remember September 11th when President George W. Bush quoted from the 23rd Psalm as a word of encouragement to the American people. Uh, we read it at funerals. We come back to the Psalm over and over, especially when life is difficult. And so all that is good. And part of what that means is we have attachments to it, right? We have sentiments. We have ideas about what it means. So let me encourage you that we might be open to the new thing that God wants to say to us today through the Psalm. And don't let our attachments to what is old prevent us from also learning something new. We pray that God would speak a fresh word to us through this familiar scripture. And it begins like this with the beautiful poetry. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, it's good to remember, friends, that the Bible is mostly a collection of 
uh, stories and law and history written by ordinary people for ordinary people. Did you know that? Now, there are some sophisticated theological arguments, especially by people like the Apostle Paul, but a lot of the Bible is really just common language couched in common terms and common ideas. And so when Jesus was talking to his followers about what it meant to be disciples, he referenced things like food and farming. And so he said, you're the salt of the earth. And he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know, we can all sort of get our heads around these really common ideas. Now, uh, the Psalm 23 is the same in that sense. This is a Psalm of David, and David wrote what he knew about, which is shepherding. Before David was a king, he was a shepherd, and he understood God as a shepherding God. Now, that's all well and good for David. The challenge for us right now is hardly any of us have ever raised sheep. Right? So the, the, the trick is we, the, the shepherding metaphors might be lost on us uh, city folk, as it were. How many of you have raised sheep? Anybody? No one? Okay, all right. That's what I thought. So it's good then that I went to a resource this week, a little book by a shepherd named Philip Keller. It's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And it, Philip Keller is an African man who is an expert in agriculture and in ranching, and he has wonderful insights into the life of the shepherd and the life of the sheep and, and what these metaphors that David is using tell us about who God is. Is. So before we even get to the shepherding, though, let's start with the first two words in the psalm. It says, the Lord. So here's this theolo theological idea. Who is the Lord? What is a Lord? Well, some of us know a Lord is a master. A Lord is an owner. A Lord is the one you listen to. The Lord is the one to whom you owe your allegiance. The Lord is the one who you obey. Lord is a term of royalty. It's a term of power. Uh, the Lord is our king, and, and we are his servants. So Lord speaks a kind of relationship, meaning that he is higher and, and we are lower. And our Lord, David says, is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. In what sense is the Lord a shepherd? Well, in the sense that uh, God cares for and tends to the flock, which in our case is the people of God. Uh, the Lord is a shepherd in the sense that he is wise and filled with grace, and he is loving and compassionate in the sense that he protects the sheep and feeds the sheep and cares for the sheep. Friends, one thing I want you to get as we're talking about this is sheep, more than probably any other livestock animal, are utterly dependent on their shepherd. Did you know that? You know, you put some food out for cows and they can kind of handle it, or you put a little food out for your cat and a cat can live for, you know, who knows how long without hardly any human intervention. You know, they just live forever. And except sheep, sheep are positively helpless except for the care of their shepherd. And so what that means is not only their comfort, but even their survival is dependent on the shepherd. Uh, if you are a sheep, the implications are your lot in life depends entirely on who your shepherd is. Think about that. Your lot in life depends entirely on who your shepherd is. If you have a lousy shepherd, you have a lousy life. And some shepherds are neglectful, right? Some, some shepherds are cruel. But... But David reminds us that we have a shepherd who is gentle and loving and kind and generous. And so practically he's boasting, the Lord is my shepherd, right? This is a source of pride for him. This is a source of admiration. He's saying, I don't have just any shepherd. The Lord 
is my shepherd. And he says, therefore, I shall not want. In other words, I don't lack anything I need. I don't lack anything I need. God gives me everything that I need for this life. Verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Philip Keller wrote in his book that sheep will not lie down to rest unless there are four conditions that are met. And I learned this this week. Sheep will not lie down unless they are free from fear, unless they are free from conflict with other sheep, unless they are free of flies and parasites, and unless they are free from hunger. And we can relate, right? We can, it's hard to sleep when you are afraid. It's hard to sleep when you're in conflict with someone else in your life. It's hard to sleep when there's a fly in your bedroom buzzing around in the dark and landing on your face, right? So we know what it's like to be restless, to be distracted, and so many things in this life will distract us from the blessed rest that we can have in Jesus. We seem to be tempted by texts and by internet and by TV and by all these other things that call for our attention when our Lord is saying, come, come and rest, come give your attention to me. The church fathers used to say that we are restless until we uh, find our rest in you, O God. That our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Now, it's noteworthy that the pastures that are promised to us are green. It makes me lie down in green pastures. Many of the great sheep countries of this world are actually dry and brown and arid. They are deserts. Did you know that? Palestine, where David raised his father's sheep, was a brown place. It was not a green place. And so if the sheep are going to have green pastures, that does not happen on accident. Green pastures are the fruit of the shepherd's labor. They are the fruit of the shepherd's hard work and care for the sheep. The shepherd gives us green pastures for food and for rest, and he also leads us beside still waters, David says. So when sheep are thirsty, they go out in search of a drink, and if they don't find clean water, they will drink dirty water. They'll drink from potholes or mud puddles, uh, and they'll pick up parasites and germs and diseases and all kinds of yucky stuff. And I wonder if that makes you think of anybody you know uh, who might go in search of something that we think would satisfy us when in fact it would end up doing us harm. Have you ever noticed how humans, we satisfy all of our bodily urges thinking that those things will ultimately satisfy when none of that ultimately fulfills us like the grace of Jesus Christ fulfills us? So it turns out that being referred to as a sheep uh, is not exactly a compliment, right? Uh, the scripture is not painting a, a very nice picture of what it means to be human. Yes, sheep look cute and they're cuddly, but you know, if you get close, you realize they're kind of smelly and uh, they're also, they're not that smart, right? They get themselves into trouble over and over again. And so when the scripture calls us sheep, it's, it's not a compliment. Um, to that end, I learned this week that uh, when a sheep lies down in the green pasture and the grass is cool and there's dew there to eat and drink, uh, the, the sheep will sometimes roll over on its side, especially sheep who have a little few extra pounds around here or have extra long fleece. They'll, they'll roll over on their side and then occasionally if there's a depression or like a little dip in the ground, they will keep rolling over until they're on their backs 
and their feet are up in the air. That's called being cast or cast down. And do you know a sheep that is laying on its back and waving its feet pitifully, it cannot get back up on its own. Did you know that? It will lay there for hours or days until, you know what happens? It will die. A sheep will die on its back because it cannot get up itself. The only one who can save it is the shepherd. And how does David put it? He restoreth my soul, right? So when a sheep is cast or cast down, he must be restored. The scripture talks about when our souls are cast down, God is the one who can deliver us. Are you seeing the connections here? We are like sheep. We are like sheep. Okay, verse 3. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep are notorious creatures of habit. Does that sound like anyone you know? Sheep will go back to the same pasture and eat all the grass until all the grass is gone. They will walk the same paths until they become ruts in the ground and difficult to, to walk through. And so the shepherd's job is to lead the sheep in right paths, or, or as he says, in paths of righteousness. Now, Righteousness is a, is a really important theological word for us, friends. Righteousness means the goodness of God. It means this gracious covenant in, in which we enter into with God and each other so that we can be in right relationship with God and with each other. When we talk about God's righteousness, we mean that God is holy. We mean that God is just and God is pure. When we talk about our righteousness... We are thinking about the blood of Christ which covers our sin so that we can be made holy like Jesus is holy. Does this make sense? This is a theological idea, righteousness. And so it's helpful to know, I think, that as you read through the Scripture and you see this word righteousness in the Hebrew Scriptures, the word translated righteousness also means justice. So in the Bible, righteousness and justice go together. We don't have one without the other. And what that reminds us of is it's not enough for us to be in right relationship with God. We also have to have concern about our neighbors. Have you ever known someone who claimed to follow Jesus and they thought they were just as holy as could be, but to other people they were terrible or cruel or mean or snarky, right? And you say to yourself, that doesn't make sense at all. This person says they love God, but they don't do a very good job of loving God's people. That doesn't work, does it? So righteousness and justice go together. Now, I'm reading this this week, and I'm thinking about our national conversation on immigration and what has been happening at our southern borders. And I'm asking myself, I don't know if you ever asked yourself this, what, what is my response? How do we live as Christians? Surely there's no one right, simple, easy answer, but Surely the church has something good to say and some good thing to do in the world for righteousness and for justice. And so when we see stories about uh, children being taken from their parents and, and families being split apart, surely the church would stand up and say, that's not good. That, that's not okay. It doesn't matter whether we vote Republican or Democrat. We don't have to agree on, on more liberal or more conservative immigration policies to be able to say, that's not our ideal, that children would be separated from their parents. It's not only not a gospel ideal, it's not even an American ideal. And so what would it look like for us to work for justice? Friends, I, I got bad news for you. If we're waiting on the federal government to do the right thing and to take care of all the problems of this country, we're going to be disappointed, aren't we? 
<laughs> there is a place for the church of Jesus Christ to be workers for justice in our communities and around the world. And so again, I'm not suggesting there's a simple, easy answer, but there is good work for us to do. And I'm proud to be a part of a church where we don't just talk about these things, but we also act them out. We are not just hearers of the word, we are doers. So we're sending a mission team, uh, eight uh, men from this church next month to go to Puerto Rico to make a difference there. So it's my hope that because of our intervention and work, Perhaps there are people who live in Puerto Rico who would say, I don't have to go to the mainland of the United States. I can stay and thrive in my community because this is a place where my life has meaning and I can contribute, and we can help make that possible so that people don't feel like they have to leave their homeland, but they can stay there and thrive and be right where God has planted them. So I'm proud to be a part of a church where we are working for righteousness and for justice. Verse 4. Here the psalm makes a shift toward intimacy. Notice in the first three verses of the psalm, the psalmist is talking about the shepherd. Now the psalmist is talking to the shepherd. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death is reportedly a real place. I've never been there, but I've read that if you go from Jerusalem down to Jericho, along the Jordan River, there is a valley, and it is a steep valley, and there are cliff faces, and there's a, a winding road that goes through there, and, and huge rocks on either side as you pass through that place. Now, as shepherds drove their sheep through that valley, bandits and thieves and robbers would hide out in the rocks. And I don't know if you can see in the kind of the top left corner, about a third of the way up, there's a, there's a person there. I don't know if you can see just how big this valley is, but you can imagine people hiding out on the top of the cliff or in, in the crevices in the rock and waiting for shepherds to come with their sheep so that they could attack, they could steal the sheep, they could do harm to the shepherd or to the sheep. And, and we know, friends, it's not just sheep that go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We've, we've all been there. We've all been through difficult times in our lives. We've all experienced hard things uh, like unemployment or uh, losing a loved one or divorce or uh, joblessness or betrayal or accidents or illness or, or death itself. We've, we've been there. And I think sometimes we like to think, gosh, you know, when I signed up to follow Jesus, I figured, oh, my, my, my problems are over because he'll, he'll solve all my problems for me. You know what I found? Actually, in some ways, it's the opposite. When you sign up to follow Jesus, life gets harder because he asks you to do something extraordinary with this life you've been given. He asks you to make a sacrifice on behalf of someone else. So the question is not really whether we will have to walk through the valley. We do have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The question is, are we alone? And the answer is no because the shepherd goes with us. So when you walk through that hard time in your life, the shepherd walks with you. That's part of what it means for him to be a shepherd and for us to be his sheep. The, the great uh, Saint Augustine referred to the 23rd Psalm as the martyr's hymn. The martyr's hymn. And you know what a martyr is, right? It's someone who uh, dies because of his or her faith. Someone who refuses to renounce Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even in the midst of persecution and hardship, and even in the face of death. And so Augustine understood that if you can, if you can pray this prayer, you know, the, the Lord who is with me through the valley of shadow of death, then you really don't have to fear evil. You don't have to fear anything because God is the one who accompanies you. Verse 5. 
Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So the shepherd takes his sheep in the summertime up into the mountain country. And this is a place where in the winter it's covered with snow, but in the summer the green vegetation grows, and uh, so the sheep have something then to enjoy and to eat. And these are high plateaus, uh, high mountains, and in, especially in the American Southwest, they are sometimes referred to as mesas. Have you ever seen a mesa before? It's like a tall mountain with a flat top. And it's interesting to note that the word mesa in Spanish means table because it kind of looks like a tabletop doesn't it when you see that mountain now when david says he prepares a table before us i hope you are making the connection in your mind in your theology that oh yeah we get to come to the table and jesus is the one who has prepared it for us and even in the presence of my enemies do you know that even judas was invited to the last supper you know, there's a place for Judas even at the table. Isn't that extraordinary? For the enemy of Jesus, he says, I still love you. And we've, we've been enemies, haven't we, of, of God and of each other, and, and still we're invited to the table. He prepares a place for us. You know, and, and we come and eat, and the pastor stands behind here and says prayers and says words that help us make this meaningful. But, friends, I want you to get it. This is not my table, and it's not yours, and it's not Timberlake's. It belongs to Jesus. And he is the reason that we can come and feast. Because he died, because his blood was shed and his body was broken, we can feast on bread and wine, and we can remember what he has done for us. And we are filled up and we are, are, are nourished with bread and with wine so that we can go back out there into the world to do what God has called us to do. You see, there's this wonderful rhythm of life and ministry with God where we come, we gather, right? And then we are filled and blessed and taught and encouraged and then we're sent back out there again. And I want to suggest to you that you and I are like the cup. Okay? This, this is you. This is me. This is our life. Okay? And so we come into this space, and we get filled up. And then we go back out into the world, and what happens? The cup is poured out, right? We're poured out. Now, what happens if all you're only ever poured out and not filled up? The cup runs dry, doesn't it? But... David's promise is, my cup, what, runneth over, because God's blessings and generosity and grace keep being poured into our lives. So friends, this rhythm of gathering for worship and being sent back out again into the world is so important, because I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to feel burnout and to feel dry and feel like I have nothing left. The only way I'm going to have my cup filled up is if I gather with God and with God's people to be filled up once more so that my cup is overflowing because then once it's overflowing it can spill out of my life and into the lives of other people last verse verse six surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever okay so here's this term lord again when we use the word lord in the church we mean who Jesus, right? We mean Jesus Christ. Now, this is an Old Testament chapter in the Psalms, and so David wrote this not having an idea about uh, who Jesus Christ is necessarily. It was written before the incarnation. Now, it wasn't written before, the, um, before Jesus was alive because we know Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Son from before all time and after all time. And so uh, it's not that 
this psalm was written before Jesus existed, but before Jesus came to earth in the incarnation. And so the Old Testament understanding of the Lord is who God is. For us who live on this side of Easter, this side of crucifixion and resurrection, we understand when we say Lord, we mean Jesus Christ. And so for this reason, this psalm is referred to as a messianic psalm. It is a prediction, a prefiguring of the Messiah, of who the Messiah would be. Messiah means anointed one. It means the one who was promised. And so the Israelites were promised a Messiah who would come and deliver them, uh, deliver their people, and God the Father sent God the Son to be our Messiah. Now, this Messiah didn't turn out to be exactly the one they had hoped for, right? They wanted an earthly king. But they got so much, so much better than that. They got the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we say Lord, we mean Jesus. And for those whose God is the Lord, Jesus Christ, this is the promise for you. Go back. Go back. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Friends, if Jesus is your Lord, this is the good news for you. Now, some of you have known Jesus as your Lord for a long time, and you say, oh, Pastor Brad, yes, yes, Jesus is my Lord, and I can't imagine any other life. Some of you, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord. Let me invite you today to make him the Lord of your life and know that the benefit is life forever and ever in God's kingdom. The God who loves us, the God who shepherds us, the God who invites us in over and over. We all who like sheep have gone astray. God has gathered us in once more. Let God's people say, amen.